0: politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth the conservative review with daniel horowitz and welcome back fellow taxpayers american patriots and non-drug abusing americans believe it or not you guys exist out there this is the conservative review podcast this is daniel horowitz back in the house friday december 6th uh the end of the week already But uh, you guys were clamoring for me to come back from my illness. And thank God, um, God has delivered me back earlier than I thought, um, because I think we all need a new movement, a new focus for those of us who aren't criminals, aren't drug addicts, aren't illegal aliens, um, don't want subsidies, just want government to keep us safe, do its core jobs at a federal and state level, and then leave us alone to live our lives with our families, our communities, and as individuals. But we don't have much of a party or a movement or a media outlet speaking to those people. Um, it's, it's, it's truly sad. It's truly unfortunate. And I was thinking today being December 6th. Uh, tomorrow is December 7th. And all of you know what that means. That's the day that will live on in infamy. 78th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attacks. And I was just thinking, and I know I've said this before in previous years, that when you look back at the clarity of mission, the sense of purpose of a nation. Uh, This was FDR being president at the time. He was a Democrat. But everyone understood what America was about, what it was we needed to preserve. Everyone understood the simple concept of territorial integrity, that we have a country and you can't have foreign belligerents um, overrun that country, even though Hawaii was, was a territory at the time. Um, but we we owned it, and we had to have a swift response. We had to ensure that that never happened again. And it's really part of the forgotten part of the war. We focus a lot on the Eastern Front, on Germany, but man, was that a dogfight. I mean, they, they had a larger Navy and Air Force at that time in 1941 than we did, and it was the greatest generation. We, we slugged it out in Midway, Guadalcanal, uh, Iwo Jima, Okinawa. I mean, some of those battles are just unbelievable. Uh, the sacrifices that took place, but the clarity and sense of mission. Here we are 78 years later, and we have no territorial jurisdictional sovereignty, integrity on our own soil. One of the things I really didn't get a chance to delve into because I got sick over Thanksgiving, everything right before Thanksgiving, one of the greatest things of, of this year took place something that a lot of us have been clamoring for, advocating for for many years, was actually fulfilled or at least indulged. Uh, The president announced that he was finally going to designate the Mexican cartels as foreign terror organizations. Um, They affect us more negatively and just more pervasively than anything around. Uh, Not just the 70,000 drug deaths every year. But really, a lot of the transnational gangs that are uh, really juicing up those body counts in Chicago and other cities, guess what? It's not so much an internal problem. We do have our internal problems. It's fueled by external Mexican cartels. Really, if you look at the cartels, they affect us, our sovereignty, in two ways. You have the Texas-Arizona border states where they're directly Running operations almost overtly, um, where you have their foot soldiers and their hakones, their uh, scouts controlling territory, controlling territory, at least in an asymmetrical way. And we don't do anything about it. Eh, It's just drugs. It's just drugs. That's the mentality of our government. Um, And then, number two, in all 50 states, in all cities, and as we've spoken about a lot recently in rural communities, they are directly conducting operations through criminal alien networks and we just allow it to go on when we could easily just retain our sovereignty. We were able to do Okinawa and Iwo Jima we could simply just keep the trash out of our country. It's not that hard um but unfortunately we haven't been doing that but thankfully Trump finally announced that we will have a sense of mission. Yes, the Mexican cartels need to be targeted but what does that mean? Where is it going to head? And what's the state of play in general with the cartels and the drug crisis? With us today is a very special guest. It's been a while, but uh, too long since we've had him on. Derek Maltz is the former special agent in charge of DEA's Special Operations Division. He he held that position for about a decade from 2005 to uh, 2014. Uh, Previously, he was in DEA's New York office. He was a DEA agent for almost three decades. Um, and he really tirelessly pushed for this terrorism designation. So, Derek, it's great to have you on, and congratulations for finally having your voice heard on this issue.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be back. appreciate the invite.
0: Well, look, you know, we, we could talk forever about so many facets of this, because really, drugs, crime, terrorism, gangs, illegal and illegal immigration – sometimes legal immigration, wrong-headed legal immigration, all tie in in one nexus to as many spheres as this. But I wanted to start off with the terrorism designation. Um, What a lot of my listeners are emailing me is like, look, we understand Trump's heart is in the right place, but the same problem we have on every issue is that the people within the executive branch, and sometimes that includes even the shallow state that he's appointed, but certainly the deep state, Um, within all the law enforcement national security intelligence agencies do not support this they don't view the mexican cartels as the threat that you and i do and they're asking is this actually kinetic he says he wants to do this could you explain what has taken place and what needs to happen for us to ensure that the vision that the president wants implemented is actually done
1: Okay, so, Daniel, the number one and most important point is that we are facing a very troubling national security crisis. This is not a drug issue alone, as you said. This is impacting all our communities around America, all our kids around America, our future. So the president is taking it very serious. The president wants to do something. The problem with this town, the Beltway talks a lot, but they don't get things done. So the president is kind of unique in the sense that he wants to make a difference. He wants to save lives. He's sick and tired of seeing families that are crying about their loved ones that have died suddenly from the fentanyl poison or the methamphetamine poison. So here's the deal. What's happening is you're watching the bureaucracy unfold and work in the beltway. So of course they're pushing back because everybody's territorial. You opened up your segment by saying how all of these things are connected. But guess what, Daniel? The sad part is the government's not connected. The agencies are not connected. Everybody's fighting for their turf. Now, how do I know that? Because I worked at the Special Operations Division prior to 9-11. I watched the chaos unfold when the planes hit the tower and no one knew what the hell was going on, right? So when I got back to the Special Operations Division in 2005, there were nine agencies working there. Because I had a clear vision on synchronizing the efforts of all these great patriots and these agencies, I built it up to 30 different agencies, three countries in the NYPD. So I had visibility on what I call the Beltway Madness, Okay, And Beltway Madness is just a bunch of bureaucrats trying to feel important instead of doing the work that we get paid to do. And so there is a lot of naysayers right now. And I want to make something clear to your show and to your listeners and your viewers. Sure. I don't care what they call it, but I think it's the most devastating crisis this country has ever faced. Look at the amount of people that are dying. Let's just look at synthetic opioids. Over 32,000 last year. That's like 90 a day. OK, so I don't care if you call it a terrorist organization. I don't care if you call it a narco terrorist organization. Put whatever, whatever label you want. Well, we have to go after these cartels like we've never done before. Now, I'm gonna tell you an interesting little point here. So, you know, as you know, we have transnational criminal organizations, we have foreign terrorist organizations. They both have these wacky beltway definitions, which quite frankly, I don't care about the definitions. I care about going after the bad guys that are impacting our public safety. So here's the thing, what we're trying to do is try to fit that square peg in the round hole definition of an FTO, right? The ideology, well, the Mexican cartels, they're only caring about the money. Well, that's not totally true. Look what they're doing in Mexico with the kidnappings, the extortion, the human trafficking, taking over cities, right? Look what happened last week, two weeks ago, 23 people dead, thousands of bullets being sprayed, right? These cartels are a threat that we've never seen. And going back to the point about Islamic terrorists, the Mexican cartels are a far greater threat than the Islamic terrorists right now, because we've been pounding the Islamic terrorists for years. The cartels, we kind of let them off easy because, you know, they're our southern trading partner. What about the people dying all over America? What about the families crying right now because they just found a loved one in the bed? So there's a lot to talk about with this designation. Personally, I look at it as just another Beltway show. Here's the problem. I lived through the Obama administration transnational crime designation. I lived through even Trump signing the executive order two years ago to go after transnational criminals. I also lived through the entire Hezbollah Operation Cassandra, seeing Hezbollah Mm -hmm. connected to the Mexican cartels. But here's what I also lived through, the lack of a unity of effort and leadership by the government agencies to get their people to work together and put the best and brightest and the most incredible uh, patriots together with the capabilities and authorities. If we did that, then maybe we wouldn't have to say, let's declare a foreign terrorist organization. But right now, sadly, one way to get everybody focused is if they were designated terrorists, we would put the best and brightest, the focused on the target, and put all the capabilities and the authorities. And like I like to say, Dan, All the tools in the toolbox, because right now we're not using all the tools, right? So why would anybody in America say no to using more tools to go after these savages? That's the question.
0: So that's the thing we have to watch out with at this point. Are we going to go kinetic with this? Is it actually going to be implemented or is it going to go the way of a lot of aspirational things the president comments on, but it doesn't become policy? That's what some of us are just a little concerned about that.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but here's the thing. There's a big difference between a policy, a strategy and an operational implementation plan. That's what's been lacking in all of these strategies in the Beltway. We have really smart people in these government agencies and they're dedicated Americans and they can put together these beautiful looking policies that read really well. You get the think tanks that will help. They get paid all that money to write up these nice documents, and it's all great. But what is the implementation plan? Who's in charge? Who's being held accountable? Like right now, we have, and I don't know if you knew this, Dan, Attorney General Sessions formed a task force against five threats, okay? Sinaloa, Jalisco cartel, MS-13, Lebanese Hezbollah, and the cartel in Colombia. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's a newer cartel. But here's the problem. They designated attorneys to be in charge of those task forces, but there's no plan to vigorously attack them. So, this is what's missing. So, going back to the FTO thing, I've seen our government in action when they have foreign terrorists on their radar, okay? And I've seen what can be done by the DOD, by the Intel community, by Treasury, by the State Department. I've seen it. We know right now, 100% fact that law enforcement actions have not worked. They're not good enough. Now, I feel bad about that because I worked my butt off in my years of law enforcement and I thought we were doing a good job, locking up bad guys, taking drugs off the street, taking guns, taking money. But obviously, the drug crisis today is worse than it's ever been. So what else do we need to do? So we have a lot to discuss about this topic. There's no simple answer. It's a very complex public health crisis national security emergency. It's not just a very simple solution.
0: And, and and I like the way you said that. You can't view it just as a law enforcement thing. Hey, I caught someone peddling drugs on the street. Let's go investigate. Let's go prosecute. Well, no, you got to look holistically and externally. This is coming externally. Where is the source? You know, I've always said a war on an item doesn't work. War on guns doesn't work because where you have gun control, um, it, everyone has guns except for the people that need to defend themselves, like in Chicago. It's the same thing with drugs. You focus on the item, well, it's not going to work. But what we've never done is said, wait a minute. We're just allowing these guys safe harbor. So, so, Derek, here's the deal. I know I told you this, and I don't know if you've been following. I know you and Jason and I talk a lot, and Jason's really big on this. On Tuesday, there was a big massacre in um, uh, Villa Union, about 20 miles south of Laredo, in Chihuahua province in Mexico. Um, Some Mexican police got killed by the CDN cartel. And right away, the governor of Chihuahua came out with a statement and said that one of the CDN groups that were involved, as many as 150 fighters... I mean, you know, we talk about fighters in Syria, fighters in Afghanistan. I mean, right there, traversed Texas territory to go um, to go to that operation in Villa Union. Within a couple hours, he recanted it. Breitbart Texas reported this, and it makes you wonder. Wait a minute. I mean, we've had reports of cartel members directly. I mean, they're all over all fifty states. But I'm talking about in overt operations in military paramilitary gear coming on our soil with weapons i don't think we would tolerate al-qaeda doing that so the question is how do we get the terrorism designation to focus our you know dod dhs state cia to view sinaloa and cdn doing that type of stuff the way we would view al-qaeda doing it
1: yeah, well look, I mean the border is wide open. You made a good point before. I was going to interrupt you, but I let you speak. Like the you know, fighting a war on an item is not going to work. But what we're missing is the people that the cartels are sending into America. And those people are walking across the border and they're going to the cities, they're getting places to live. There are a cartel cells in every city, right? And so those cartel they need people to work in America, right? and they sit in these cities and they start up the business. They move the fentanyl, they move the meth, they move the guns, they move the money, right? So it's the people that we have to keep out of this country. When you talk about 150 Los Zetas coming into Texas, that really doesn't surprise me because the border is wide open, right? We don't have enough border patrol agents to patrol the entire Southwest border. They don't even have people. And and quite frankly, up until recently, there were babysitters 24 hours a day. You know, now at least the, uh, the numbers have gone down and we've done a good job, despite the lack of support from Washington, because they're too busy on the witch hunt, right? Which again, I don't want to be political, but like, let's talk about prioritization. We have a war on our border. We have people dying like crazy. You know, you bring up a point about Al-Qaeda. Suppose there was one pound- of biological or chemical weapon south of uh, southwest uh, the southwest border in, in Mexico. Can you imagine if our country knew that this chemical existed, how the intel community, everyone would be all over that? But we have fentanyl, one kilogram, will kill 500, or could kill 500,000 people, right? So it is a chemical weapon. We just don't look at it like that. But the poor kids that are popping those little MS... The the Mexi Oxy pills that are yep. all over. Hey Dan, I got a stat for you because this is important to give the viewers and the listeners a, a little bit something to think about. In the Phoenix DEA office alone, right, in 2015 they seized zero Mexi Oxy pills. Those are the little blue, you know, counterfeit Mexican pill, right? And they have fentanyl in them. In 2016 there was uh, let me let me let me get the stats. 2016 there was twenty thousand. 17 was uh, 54,000, 18 was 380,000, and guess what they had 19, 1.4 million. So do the math, Dan. It goes from zero to 1.4 million in five years, right? Can you imagine what's got into the country? Can you imagine what's out there that we don't know about? Because we're only seizing a small percentage. But the reason I say that is because that's a chemical attack on our country because those pills will kill instantly, and they are killing instantly. That's why you have all these deaths all over the place. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like This is different than anything we've ever dealt with. This isn't the 1980s marijuana cigarette, right? This (laughs) is poison coming from labs in China. And so we're not thinking this through. And by the way, speaking of China, China is very, very engaged and integrated with the cartels. You know why the methamphetamine is exploding all over this country, Dan? Like Utah. You saw the news in Utah, right? Yep. They went from like hardly anybody overdosing from meth, laced with fentanyl, to like yep. massive massive numbers,
0: right? I, I got the numbers here. Yeah, it was 31 people in 2010. It's 217 in 2018 and God knows what it was this past year. Right.
1: And so Dan, what's happened is the cartels many years ago when the US government did a great job at keeping pseudoephedrine and ephedrine out of our country, right? Remember when you had to, go to, yep. you go, to the, you go to Walmart or you go to CVS, you have to give your license, right? Because you want some pseudo It's so stupid, but it actually helped push some of this stuff away from America so the lab operators in America couldn't produce the meth. So the, the Mexican cartel, Sinaloa cartel, took advantage. They had formed a relationships with the Chinese and other Asian chemical companies, ton quantities of chemicals coming into Mexico to make methamphetamine. Then they built the super labs, not like the mom and pop basement labs, where they're producing thousands of kilos of this meth. My buddies from Boston, DEA, just went down to Mexico. They went to a lab site. This particular lab was producing seven tons of meth every three days. Think about that. This is the type of operation they have. And guess what? That's why the seizures of meth and the the overdoses and all the meth usage is going through the roof. Because the cartels are aligned with China and they're producing this substance at record levels.
0: So what's the biggest tool in the toolbox? We talk about, you mentioned something very important, the criminal alien networks, the immigration problem that we talk about here so much. I always concede that, yeah, we're not going to be able to patrol every inch of our soil. Although if we had a military mindset, I think that would change because we still don't have a military mission for CBP. It's more of a law enforcement mission. And I think you articulate that well. But they forget the interior enforcement element of this. Um, One of the people that I'm very thankful that you introduced me to was Robert Murphy, the special agent in charge of DEA in Atlanta. And he always tells me he's told me this on the record. That at a primary trafficking level, almost all of these guys are illegal aliens, and the difference of that is very simple. See, if you catch an American, it's like, all right, what are you gonna do? Here's some probation. Here's some drug courts. But here, hey, wait a minute, you're you're here illegally. You're out of here. Oh, you're illegally. You're out of here. So what happens over time? I want to read to you um, the money quote from this Salt Lake Tribune article that just came out this week on the meth crisis in utah um and they talk about the amount of meth they seize 235 kilograms in the highways just that one little unit um in the utah state troopers market factors may explain meth's rapid rise in utah a pound of meth costs 1000 to 1500 with a single hit going for about 20 dollars, about one tenth of the cost of the early 2000s the price is so low on methamphetamine right now, some of these street or low-level dealers are able to afford larger quantities than they've had in the past. What, what, what Mr. Murphy always tells me is that if we simply enforced our immigration laws and every illegal alien we caught, rather than cycling them in and out, threw them out. So what would happen is you wouldn't eliminate all drugs. But, you know, in law enforcement, that's never your goal is to the goal is to mitigate the problem. Guess what? It becomes more scarce because it's prohibitively costly because they can't have a network that just operates in plain sight because you're an illegal alien and we will get you and throw you out. And the cost will go up. And you know what? Maybe we'll have people dying, but it will be the numbers of last decade, not this decade.
1: Right. I mean, Dan, you talk about uh, Rob Murphy, like Atlanta division. That's been a hub for the Mexican cartels for many years now, you know, the whole East Coast. Right. And so in Atlanta, there was a case back uh, a while ago now. They had a methamphetamine conversion lab. Right. And there were like seven subjects arrested. I think it was a Jalisco or Sinaloa network. Right. But here's the deal. Six out of the seven people arrested were illegal aliens. And those guys came over the border, I was told they even were carrying the liquid meth in the backpacks, right? To help produce the meth. And then they they this lab, I think they seized like 400 pounds of meth in a US lab. This was like one of the biggest labs in the last 20 years seized by the DEA, right? But here's the thing. They dumped all that toxic waste in the in the uh, in the land and everything like that. And like 1 pound of this waste Like one pound of meth can produce like five pounds of toxic waste. So that's like 2000 pounds of toxic waste. We don't hear all the like the you know, the 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 environmentalists right coming out of the woodwork about that. Right. So we have these illegals. They're all over the country. They're causing havoc. I mean, look at a case out in L.A. with the MS-13 that medieval style killings. They ripped the heart out of the guy's body right? 19 out of 22 were all MS-13 illegals, right? Mm. Who have a a motto of rape, kill, and control. And we want those monsters in our country? Are you kidding me? So yeah, so the people being here in the country is a really big part of the problem for the drug crisis. But just because I want to make this clear, I'm also a very, very big advocate that we have dropped the ball in this country on the drug education. So the demand is through the roof, right? So when President Obama was in office, unfortunately, you know, they were focused, you know, on the war on terror, which is great. Right. But they totally took their eye off the ball on drugs. And then when big pharma started pumping 76 billion, you saw that Washington Post story. Right. Six years, 76 billion opioid pills dumped in America. Right. Well, all those people got addicted. Then the cartels came in. And they took advantage of the addicted population, and they started putting out the very low uh, price, high purity white heroin that kids can snort. Right? The kids snort it for ten dollars a bag. They get high. Now they got this addiction. They need this stuff. Then the Mexicans align themselves with the Chinese. They spend five thousand dollars a kilogram of fentanyl in China. They bring it to a lab in Mexico. They start chopping it up, and their profits go going through the roof but then the poor kid who's addicted is on the street desperately looking for his fix, and he's snorting now not heroin, but fentanyl, and he's not waking up. This is yep. the evolution of the crisis, but it's the people, they have so many people already in America in place, their business is booming, right? So if you arrest 10 or 15 of them, they're gonna get 10 or 15 more at a crossing tomorrow, right? And they're here, you know, and all these statistics that they put out about the border, right? So I'm happy to say that the CBP has done a tremendous job bringing the numbers down you know, of the apprehensions, right? But what about all the people we don't even know that are here? Like, how do you know what you don't know, Dan? Like, you're smart, man. So tell me, how do you know who has gotten over here? And how do you know who they are? That's the thing I don't understand. As
0: Murphy always says, drugs don't produce themselves. They don't sell themselves. They don't um, transfer the profits back themselves. You need the networks. And I love it. If if you remember, we passed around some articles together, a group of us. Um, last week, Beth Warren of the Louisville uh, Cur- Courier-Journal yeah. posted a really detailed article on, on Kentucky and how the cartels, Jalisco, um, El Mencho in particular, has a foothold in all of rural America but and it was a good article but they skirted the 800 pound gorilla in the room and i love a quote she had here amazing quote here she talked about how the cartels quote exploit its connections with otherwise hard-working immigrants now she leaves off the point oh, that they're illegal immigrants because the case study she had there this person who was grooming the thorough thoroughbred horses in for you know kentucky's horse racing industry um oh, well, you know, he was was a good guy grooming horses, but he was transferring $30 million of drugs for El Mencho overnight. Well, it turns out he was an illegal alien if you look at the U.S. Attorney's website. So my problem is, if you look at rural America, wherever you see these farms and these agricultural interests that bring in illegal aliens, well, what you're also having there is the conduit for El Mencho to go and bring them in. What if we just actually, you know, enforce the laws. I'm not talking about a new war on drugs. I'm talking about enforce our jurisdictional sovereignty. What would happen to the price of some of these
1: drugs? Right. They wouldn't have the people. I mean, Dan, you, you make some great points. I mean, look, you need the people in an organization. If you run a business, if you run a Fortune 500 company, you need the people, right? The bosses are only as good as the people, right? Yep. That's the old saying, right? We're only as good as our people as leaders. So if you're Chapo Guzman, you're only as good as your people so your guy that's recruiting the organization to work in chicago has to have all the people in place right the people are the ones that do the running around doing the distribution doing the money collections the money counting the trade-based money laundering so you have to have the people and the people are all over this place and it's going con- it to continue to get worse because we're really not doing a lot about securing that border for, for how many years now dan has the u.s failed in securing that border really Let's think about it, right? I'm not a border expert, but in talking to all the border experts, this has been a disaster for years, right? And now all of a sudden, you know, it's Trump had, you know, inherited this mess. I like to say he's inherited a dysfunctional mess because people weren't taking care of business.
0: So, Derek, isn't it true that what we're looking for with the cartel designation is not that oh, we're going to sit and do to Mexico what we did in the Middle East and try to build up their society. What it should be is an expression of America first is, look, I mean, I wish we could help the Mexican people, but the the first step is helping ourselves. And why can't we draw a perimeter around our border and say, when you have La Linea, you have Jalisco, Sinaloa, CDN, Golfo lining our border, we are going to treat this not as a law enforcement operation. Oh, a law has been broken. There's been an illegal entry. Let's go and investigate. I mean, that's CBP's mindset. I mean, that's what they're trained to do. Rather, we will treat it as a military operation, not so much to go into Mexico, although I think we shouldn't rule out targeted strikes when, 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 when they're needed. But to simply say, like we did it with Pearl Harbor, no foreign belligerent paramilitary group is going to get on our soil. right? I mean, exactly. if we can't do that, then what, what are we?
1: Right, so so before you ask the question, and I, I don't think I answered the question, but it was a really good question about the tools, right? So probably in my personal opinion, the most important thing would be the money flow, right? Because if they don't get their money, right, then they're not gonna be able to continue doing and escalating their business, but you need the people, right? So you gotta keep the people out, right? And you have to shut down whatever existing money laundering uh, schemes that they have in America, shut them down, identify the dirty banks, identify the dirty businesses, right? Identify uh, all the people associated with it, use the treasury stuff to keep them all out, shut down, disrupt their ability to move money, which crushes them, right? And at the same time, a simultaneous attack on the chemicals that they're using to produce this poison. So if they're getting tons and tons of, of, of kilograms of precursor chemicals from China and India and all these other countries, shut down that flow. Have a massive effort to shut it down. I know it's not that easy, but trust me, the, the US intel community and the Department of Defense and others that are out there, other partners that we have, they have really good capabilities. And I'm not trying to say that law enforcement is not doing their job. Law enforcement works really hard I'm proud of the law enforcement guys and ladies that are out there, but it's not enough. It has to be a more all-inclusive, unity of effort attack where you have this powerful force of US good, right, good people going after this problem. So we gotta stop with this beltway bantering, everyone's positioning, everyone's got an angle. And the one thing I do worry about, Dan, to be really clear, is if tomorrow we got this thing passed, then all these people are gonna be claiming asylum and we can have millions of them coming into America. Right. And this is a problem. I don't have the answer to that, Dan. You well, probably do. have it, it, so, so please enforce
0: immigration law. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. the president has the power. No one could assert themselves on us. We could say, right. look, asylum was an individual thing. You right. can't have mass migration. Yeah. 1182F, gotcha. at USC, the president could shut off all or any that's right I mean, okay so that's know, the way to do th- it that's important it's not that you're wrong in the way these guys think right in their exactly. mind they think we have to accept we we, we don't have sovereignty we are right. not a sovereign nation anyone could make a claim and we have to indulge that well yeah if that is your mindset i rigorously disagree with that but then then you got a big problem but that's my point it needs well, see, to be the opposite it needs yeah. to be and, and i want to You know, Derek, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Any law enforcement person I have on the program, I read this to now. And I'm going to read this to you. And I'm just going to get your comment on it. Okay. 2004. The staff of the 9-11 Commission. So it wasn't the 9-11 Commission report proper. It was they had a couple of ancillary reports. This was the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorism and travel. And knowing everything, you know, not just about the drugs and crime angle. But and the drugs and cartel terrorism angle, but also the drugs and Islamic terror angle. This is an amazing quote. Listening to this in 2004, when 15 years later, the same problem still exists and we haven't solved it. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11th, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission to the U.S., border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, that it must. Be made one.
1: It's real straightforward to me. And this is the problem. I mean, these studies, these these investigations, these reports, what good are they if nobody's reading them and no one's acting on them, right? It's the same thing like, hey, Dan, everyone is saying how terrorists are turning to criminal networks for the funding, right? Because they don't have the same level of funding anymore. But yet we still have the government agencies with the silos between the terror investigations and the crime investigations. So, again, you have to read these things and evaluate them. They make sense. Keep those people out, and our country's going to be safer. It's that simple.
0: And, and, and again, the, the difference is that we can't keep bad Americans out, right? You have to deal with them. And, right. and, and increasingly, with this criminal justice reform, nobody serves any time, so they're going to be out in three minutes doing the same thing. But at least we don't have to deal with the recidivism of other countries' dudes and and I want to take this to the final level I know you got to go soon beyond drugs but the the narco culture of violence also that's percolating so what I find important and I wrote this in my article of five different um important spheres of designating the ter- cartels as terrorists and what we need to do with it and one is collection of data so what's interesting is when you see a rash of bank robberies you know well that's likely inherent domestically in our own criminal culture, you have bank robbers, but when suddenly you start seeing peculiar crimes, so or peculiar terrible cultural activities, let's say honor killings, right? We we're tracking that a little bit here. FGM, well, that's not you know suddenly there's been an uptick in FGM. Well, no. What happened was, over the last 15 years, you brought in a lot of unvetted people from Islamic countries in two great of quantities, and particularly Pakistan is where that's endemic of. So that's fundamentally an external problem. You can't tell me honor killings was native in America. Well, now it is, but you brought that in. Same thing here with certain spheres of the drug crisis, many spheres of it, but also with the violence. And I'm going to leave you with this. A couple months ago, I reported on a case of very crazy shooting on I-70 near Indianapolis. Picture going 70 miles an hour. And first they thought it was a terrible car crash. But in the end, they found that actually what happened was one guy shot a guy at high speed. The same thing you would have in Mexico. Headshot, one shot, and they swerved into each other and there was a crash. But they found a bullet in the guy's brain. And then I looked at the name of the suspect, and it was—it sounded you know, like he was an illegal alien. I checked in with ICE, and indeed, there was an ICE hold on him. He's an illegal alien. I said, wait a minute. Are we not bringing in this cartel culture of violence, albeit it's just a little bit more subtle, <laughs> than what's going on in Mexico proper?
1: Right. I mean, look, we, I was studying for years. When I was the head of SOD, I was studying all the cartel violence in America and I saw stuff that I couldn't even believe. Like as an example, there was a guy in Detroit, his buddy set him up, he lit him on fire, he duct taped his whole body, put gasoline on him and lit him on fire. This was a guy that he went to the zoo with, with his family, right? There was another guy who basically, they, they chopped off his hands, right? There's this one story after another, like burned a guy to a crisp down, down in Atlanta they doing all these home invasions. Like, that's a big thing that we don't talk enough about, Dan. Mm. So there's a lot of innocent people that are sitting at their homes at night, and all of a sudden the door gets broken down, and it's a bunch of illegals or Mexican cartel guys or gangsters, MS-13 type, and they're looking for drugs and money in the house, but they got the wrong location, right? Yep. So they go to the local realtor, they get a tip that this location is loaded with drugs and contraband. They're trying to rip it off, and what happens is they got the wrong location. Right. You know, you heard like how law enforcement hits the wrong door. Well, the bad guys are hitting the wrong door. Now the poor lady's got a hot iron on her on her side and and he's torturing her for the money. And she's like, I had no money in the house. Right. And these these animals are torturing people, innocent Americans. This is happening. They're tying people up. They're kidnapping people. They're calling back to Mexico to get payment. They're shooting people in the middle of the night with AK-47s all dressed in black. Here's another one. We had case after case where they were doing methamphetamine for grenades. So they were they were finding these guys that worked at the military installations that somehow had the ability to get access to grenades, and they were trading meth for grenades. You know, Now, I don't know what they did. We had one case, Dan, in Dallas, Texas. We found a live grenade in the house of the Mexican. You know what he told the cops when he was cooperating? They were going to use that grenade against the cops. Now, it didn't happen, but and maybe he didn't mean it, but these are the kind of things. We had another case where on the wiretap, the guy says, yeah, I just shot the guy in the head. I'm going to bury him. We sent the police to the house. Guess what we found in the SUV? A guy wrapped up in a towel with bullet holes in his head. In America, on our soil. Yeah, in America, I'm, yeah. I, I, oh, wait, I got one more. This is important. So 1,000 miles from the border, I think it was Alabama, we had five dead people. They had jumper cables connected to their ears, and they had burn marks because they were torturing them before they sliced them up and killed them on the ground in the house, a thousand miles from the border. So this is not a border problem. This is an American problem. It's American national security issue. So the government has to wake up, and they're not. Unfortunately, they're just not making much progress.
0: In, in, indeed, you know the, the the open border has turned every American town and even rural areas <clears throat> into border cities, and I I, I just find that amazing that I remember when um, D.A. put out their threat assessment last year. Like I told you before, I don't know why in the world they haven't put out this year's threat assessment. I've been (laughs) picking them for it because I really want to see what they have to say. But What I found was amazing. D.A.'s threat assessment from 2018 says the following. It says, The Mexican cartels provide a steady stream of drugs to the Chicago area. Though the Sinaloa cartel and CJNG are the city's most notable sources of supply, other Mexican cartels that deliver drugs to the area include BLO, Gulf Cartel, La Familia, uh, Macalin, and Los Guerreros Unidos. Chicago is home to several street gangs that are heavily involved in drug distribution, and collectively, these gangs serve as the primary mid-level and retail-level drug distributors for the cartels. These gangs are also responsible for a substantial portion Of the city's violent crime. To me that was a eureka moment. Because we all think of Chicago. It's like a domestic issue. And and a certain amount is. Yeah it's just like violent. Maybe black gangs. But then I looked at this DA report. and And I studied and I watched the National Geographic. On the Bloods and the Crips. Which are domestic. And I said wait a minute. It seems like a good part of what we view as. Hey there's a robbery here. There's a murder here. There's a shooting here. Like typical domestic local crime that you'll, you'll hear on local news for the last 50 years, how much of that is being driven by this problem, which is external?
1: Right. Well, so, Dan, in that example in Chicago, I could tell you firsthand because I was part of working on this. In Chicago, the, uh, the, the twins, right, Mexican-American twins were working for the Sinaloa cartel, specifically Chapo, the Flores brothers, They were the ones providing all the cocaine, like tons of cocaine, to all the gangs. And so that's how the case on Chapo in Chicago was made. They worked the case from the gangs in Chicago to the twins. The twins then cooperated and gave up the Sinaloa Cartel's network from Mexico to L.A. to Chicago. And that's how they put the evidence against Chapo. So it was very closely connected from the gangs in Chicago to Chapo Guzman, the biggest drug trafficker we've ever seen. Right. So people out there want to look at gangs as a separate issue. No, the gangs that are killing all these people in Chicago are getting the drugs and the people are are from Mexico coming in and operating the the cartel's mission in Chicago. This is this is common sense This happened in not just Chicago, all over the place. And we're just sitting there and we're trying to separate these (laughs) things. It's a gang issue. No, it's a drug issue. It's a terrorism issue. No, it's our national security what are we doing? Where's the sense of urgency? And it's really frustrating.
0: Where's the sense of urgency? Look, I mean, I guess we, we, we could just blow the roof off forever here. I do want our listeners to know there is a whole nother show that you and I need to do on a peculiar type of drug trafficking. Um, the K2 spice that is particularly the synthetic marijuana that's killing kids laced with rat poison, particularly being sold by Yemeni immigrants in this country ties into ebt fraud cigarette trafficking again very interesting you start seeing trends you unfold it it's not just oh low level offenses another interesting thing you mentioned um which which is a whole nother show in itself i love it how you know right now they're like we don't want to lock anyone up for drug crimes and we ignore the fact that a they're doing a lot of other Horrible crimes, and that's why crime is now going up in all of these cities because we're just not locking up anyone anymore. But also, the interesting thing is, if you don't have tough sentencing to threaten them with, you can't leverage them to give up the network. Yeah,
1: exactly, I mean, that's the key.
0: That was a beautiful example. Well, of
1: that. Well, well, I'll give you an example. Like back in the day when I was actually doing cases and supervising cases, you know, with the sentencing guidelines, especially in the federal system, when you arrested a guy and he had an extensive like arrest record in the state. The guy was facing like 40 years, right? 25, 40 years. And if he had young children, right, he had more of an incentive to cooperate with America, to provide everything he knew for his entire life of crime. Well, that gave the law enforcement agencies the ability to then go after other people in the communities and kind of do a good job. Now, if the guy's thinking, I'm only going to get two years or I'm going to do a year, I'm going to be out tomorrow, he's not going to (laughs) cooperate. And so this is a huge incentive. And it really was successful, and it kills law enforcement. The bread and butter of law enforcement, Dan, is the human source. Mm. And the only way you're going to get the human source to cooperate with law enforcement, not the only way, but the main way, is the leverage over the sentencing. When they have a family, they have their kids, they start feeling bad, they don't want to go to jail the rest of their life, and they start cooperating. So this whole thing with the sentencing is, is off—it's off, it's off track. Because oh my gosh. You guys, and because, you know, you, don't get me wrong, you can't put a Mexican truck driver who's doing produce, and bringing it up to New York, and one day he puts 50 kilos of cocaine in his truck. You can't put him in jail for life. That's a little yeah. bit over the top, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those guys that are causing havoc in all the cities that are in and out of the state jails, and then they get involved with a 50 yeah. kilo drug deal. Now they go away. They don't come out. That's the whole point. Reagan
0: talked about that all the time and it worked. That's why the murder rate dropped 65%, the violent crime rate dropped. And now Chicago, Atlanta, LA, San Francisco, even Oklahoma, they've dabbled with this sentencing reform, you know.
1: Dan, Dan, we we have cleaned up areas and cities because of the federal conspiracy laws and the sentencing guidelines. Unfortunately, a lot of these states, because the prisons are overpopulated and stuff like that, these guys aren't even going to jail. They, they're not even getting, they're going at right all. out of the, they're just leaving. Right I, at, from I can't the court. tell you,
0: oh my gosh, in my file here, I don't even have time to write about all these cases. The worst cases, this was in Comstock, a home killing suspect was released from jail days earlier. I looked at this guy's rap sheet, robbery, um, uh, assault, um, weapons charges, and of course you have drugs there because drugs is the is the trait of all the bad guys, whether they're individual criminals, gang members, um, criminal networks, terrorist networks. And it's not just about the drugs. It all ties in. Stop decompartmentalizing each thing.
1: Hey, hey Dan, you know what? One of the things you just said, which is I, I've been very vocal about this lately and people get mad when I say this, but the lead agency concept has to end. Because in other words, like the DEA has Can you explain that a little
0: bit? Just what, okay. what you mean by
1: So like, okay, so right now in this country, it's always been like the DEA is the lead on drugs, right? And ATF, they're the lead on guns, right? FBI is the lead on terrorism, right? Homeland Security is the, you know, lead on immigration or whatever. The reality is they all come together, right? So that's why when I built up SOD, I built up a synergy of effort of all these agencies. So it's a task force environment where it all comes together. If you have silos up between all of these different agencies, which we do, and you have everyone competing for attention and budgets, then what happens is everyone does their own thing in their own lane. But the drug trafficker is not really just the drug trafficker. The drug trafficker is involved with the gangsters, involved with the gun runners, involved with the terrorists, involved with the money launderers and so you have to do a better job of breaking down those silos.
0: Yeah, Derek, I know you got to run to a meeting now. Um I'm going to tease out to our audience exactly what you said the next show we do and you know God willing we'll do pretty soon is exactly on that point people that your uh, department caught before that were likely notorious islamic terrorists overseas here in American towns and you know, the prosecutors from their vantage point, Justice Department, ah, eh, just another drug case. But no, the drugs are often the honeypot for something so much yeah, bigger. Exactly. Um, that's the
1: key, what you just said. And that's what's really missing right now. And it's not just drugs, counterfeiting, right? Illegal cigarette trafficking. And that's why I'm so obsessive with that topic, because Peter King wrote about that in 2007. It's gotten worse, it's evolved into this unbelievable problem for America. And we're just not addressing it
0: just not addressing it we could go on forever derek thanks so much for all you do we'll have this show out uh later today look we thought this week would be kind of dead i thought i was half dead um i was doped up on on uh, morphine and stuff like that all week but thank god god has given me strength to come back bounce back from the dead we had a pretty productive second half of the week here have a great weekend, everyone. Send me your comments and questions that you have for Derek that I can ask him on offline or the next time we have it on, on dherwitz at blazemedia.com. Like our videos at YouTube. Make sure you go and um, subscribe to our channel at YouTube. conservativereview.com is the webpage. God bless you all and have a terrific weekend.